This is episode number 380 with Dr. Nicole Lapira, aka The Holistic Psychologist. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dr. Nicole Lapira was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School of Social Research. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, she often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves, which is so awesome because we don't wanna be relying on everyone else to heal us and help us. When we have these tools, we can heal ourselves, which I just think is so amazing and why I love her work. She is the creator of the Self Healers Movement, where people from around the world are joining together in a community to take healing into their own hands. Her first book, How to Do the Work, is currently in pre-order, which is released in March of 2021. And in this episode, we chat about how she became the holistic psychologist and why it's so important for us to approach every aspect of our lives from a holistic perspective. It's not just one thing. It's not just about health or it's not just about mental health. It's a whole holistic picture, which is really important. We need to look at every area of our life. We also talk about how to identify the symptoms of mental disease and become aware if you are dealing with anything that may be affecting your mental health, how to unleash your healing powers, reprogram your brain and start living your life more consciously, what makes EMDR such a powerful tool to work through past trauma and how to find safety in any situation, what you must know about your inner child and why it's so crucial for everybody to start working on healing their inner child. The importance of active listening and what makes it the secret source to level up all of your relationships. The revolutionary concept of reparenting and how to execute it successfully in your own home. Her three awesome tips to set healthy boundaries and how to stop feeling bad about doing so and how shimmying through discomfort will flip your life around and allow you to inspire others. Plus, so much more. This episode is so important. With the epidemic of mental health issues that we are experiencing right now, this episode is so important. And for everything that we mentioned in today's show, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 380. And now, without further ado, let's get this conversation started with the incredible Dr. Nicole Lapira. Nicole, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here with us today. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, actually, thank you, first and foremost, for having me. I actually have not eaten yet. So my breakfast thus far has been a latte, and I will eat something once I sign off here with you. Mm, Awesome. 
I'm so excited to dive into our conversation today. You have a very interesting story. And I want you to share a little bit about how you became the holistic psychologist, how this all unfolded for you. Was this something that you dreamt of as a child? How did this all unfold? Take us back. For sure. Definitely not something necessarily that I dreamt of as a child. I think the path that I'm on has really been a journey based on my lived experiences as well as my clinical training. As long as I can remember, I will share with you. I was really fascinated by other people. I was the young kid who was really just trying to make sense of the world. And whatever the age is where people start to get asked, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? I think coming from that curiosity, mainly as an attempt to understand other people's minds, you would have heard me very intuitively speaking, I want to be a psychologist. Of course, I don't, I wouldn't have imagined at that time that I would have been working exactly as I'm working now because I very much went through the very traditional clinical training. I had a private practice in Philly. And I myself had been through the system, if you will. I was in therapy myself historically for anxiety. Again, another experience that as long as I can remember, I was very fearful as a child. And really, it was the result of years in private practice and me starting to see a really big theme. And the word of the theme that I like to talk about quite often is stuck. I was seeing a lot of humans, myself included, in my personal world and also in my practice where here I was, right, being hired, essentially, my job as the therapist in the room was to help people change or to mitigate their symptoms to feel better. And the short of it was, Melissa, that I, I came to realize that a lot of us humans universally are we're struggling to change. And there's a very real reason why we're struggling to change. So after my own, as I call it, my dark night of the soul, really coming to terms with a lot of the conditioning, the patterns that I was living that were keeping me stuck, similar to my clients, I formulated what I now understand is the holistic view of wellness, really understanding the reasons, like I said, why many of us can't create change and giving us a pathway to do so. Mm, so important. I love that you look at it holistically. So why is it important that we approach health and wellness and our mental health from that holistic point of view? It's incredibly important. And for a very long time, we haven't done that. We've had the silo approach where I was in the field of mental wellness. So we very much for a long time believed that there were certain symptoms, disorders, whatever you want to call it, that were contained in the mind. And you would come see a doctor such as myself. And then obviously we have the whole field of traditional medicine. When my body is sick, I go to the medical doctor and I get treatment. That didn't work for a lot of us, doesn't work, because we now know that our minds and our bodies are connected. They are in constant communication and we are stuck, a lot of us, because we're imbalanced. We're living in a system that's, for most of us, dysregulated. And again, because our, our body and that state of dysregulation is in constant communication with our mind, that one silo approach just no longer works. So as humans, we, we are an interconnected system. I mean, that even applies us as individuals and how we connect within our relationships within the society at large. So my work in holistic wellness is really incorporating that integrated model into the way we address mental disease or for lack of a better word. It's so common these days. So many people are dealing with anxiety, stress, overwhelm, depression, so many mental issues. 
how can we become aware if we've even got one? We've got one. I mean, a lot of us become aware because of the symptoms, the cycles, whether or not. So for me, I was very aware, like I said, from a very young age of cycles of panic, of endless thoughts. For me, it was worry-based. What is the next bad thing that's going to happen? And for me, that mapped onto actual physiological symptoms in my body. My heart rate was always pretty elevated. It was as if I was waiting for that next shoe to drop. So it's really individualized the how we know, though we typically know because we have symptoms. We're either stuck in having the same feeling time and time again. A lot of us are stuck. We're stuck in our minds. We're stuck replaying the same dialogue. And a lot of us are creating the same stuck patterns in our life. This is what really was troubling for me in my old way of working, because the more we become aware, as a lot of us are, some of us understand the things that don't work, even to a painful degree, yet we can't bridge the gap, or so many of us were struggling to bridge the gap between that insight, that knowing better, for lack of a better word, and then actioning, actually creating change. So this is what I would see week after week. All of this incredible insight on a Tuesday All of these plans about how I'm going to break these habits and patterns that many of us are aware we're stuck in, yet by that next Tuesday, I could not bridge that change. So the how we know looks a little different. Some of us have actual physical symptoms. Our body just is constantly in that state of dysregulation. Some of us are stuck more in our minds. And then furthermore, we tend to repeat patterns in our way of being in the world. Anytime we become really repetitive, chances are there might be that that's kind of stuck point happening beneath the surface. Mm, I know lots of people that could probably relate to that for sure. And myself. Me too. <laughs> for my own personal journey, I was reflecting back on at the very start of my journey, just feeling like you are on that hamster wheel going round and round and round with the same patterns and then also manifesting the same relationships, manifesting the same health issues, just constantly manifesting the same situations in my life. And it's not until you take a step back and you realize what's happening and then you take control. But what I did from that point was I put my power in a lot of therapists and healers and coaches and mentors. And I thought they are going to fix me and they are going to help me. And with your work, what I love about you and your work is that you're like, no, 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 I'm going to teach you how to heal yourself. So because ultimately we are our own best guru and no one is inside our mind. So how do we heal ourselves? Yeah, this isn't to say, I'm really happy you're asking me this, Melissa. So this isn't to say that support isn't helpful. Having the support of therapist or the support of friend or the support of community, a really big motivator, honestly, for me to start speaking about this holistic model of wellness online was to find that group of people. So again, this isn't to say that support isn't part of the journey, though, to speak to your point, we are the one in our own mind. We are the person showing up day in and day out that has to begin to make some new choices for ourselves. I actually believe as well that so many of us, the large majority of us even, have spent so long outsourcing outsourcing our inner knowing to those other people. For a very long time, I did the same thing. I mean, a lot of us were taught that the people outside of us, especially when we are talking in the medical system, doctors, psychologists, et cetera, that 
they're the ones who went to school. So of course they have the knowledge. And it's not to say again, that they don't have the knowledge. My interest is always, so for instance, back to my session, right? Here I am with the person helping and supporting the person. What happens when that person leaves my office, right? And the subconscious, that's where all these habits and patterns are stored. We now know that the large majority of us are a living iteration of that autopilot. 95% of our day, so outside of that office, upwards of 95% of the time, that insight goes out the window. And we are just shooting right from those older layer programs. So I say that to say, even the most insightful supportive therapist doesn't wake up in my body, in my mind the next day to show up, to begin to maintain those new choices for myself. So that's why I talk about this concept of self-healing. Even those of us that are privileged to have the support of humans in our life or holding the space for us, we're still the person who goes to sleep every night and wakes up the following day. So we are still the person who, like you said very beautifully, is in our head, needs to be able to identify our ever-changing needs and learning how to show up in service of meeting those needs day in and day out. Mm. So how do we do that? How does it practically look? I talk a lot practically because a lot of these concepts, let me just be clear, the large majority of things that I talk about day in and day out on my Instagram have been spoken before. What I find, especially in the field around some of these areas, is they're not really talked about in a practical way. Many of us have heard terms like consciousness, maybe, or ego, or some of these terms that I now throw around, though we maybe don't know what that looks like. I know I didn't. I didn't really understand what the difference for me between consciousness and unconscious was. I didn't understand when it was my ego voice talking versus right my higher self or the soul behind it. So living it through practical terms is, I think, the most important part and a large reason why I believe the account has, has grown so exponentially because these are now the practical tools, the practical ways we can apply those. So the base foundation, as far as I say it, to create change is to counter that subconscious programming, to begin to build a new foundational habit of living our life consciously. So that means doing a two-part process, really simply, as I describe most things. We first want to identify how conscious we are. I'm a big fan of using the technology that most of us carry around in our pocket, right? A great suggestion I've given is set an alarm for random times during your waking day. So you'll probably even forget you set the alarm by the time it goes off, say at 3.30. When that alarm goes off, I want you to do an attention check-in. Note, where's your attention in that moment? If you're like myself, when that alarm goes off, whatever time of the day it went off, my attention was either in one of two places. I was rehashing something that stressed me out that happened that morning, or if that wasn't the case that day, I was worrying about the thing that was going to stress me out for sure tomorrow. My attention was not present. I probably didn't have any idea what was sitting on the computer screen in front of me when that alarm went off, right? So note where my attention is, and then we want to start to retrain our brain. And because we now know that our brain can change throughout life, the more we fire up this attentional muscle and we teach ourselves how to be conscious, we're actually teaching ourselves now to fire up a new part of our mind where consciousness lives. So we're shifting from where my subconscious is to my consciousness. And the way we can do that is we can use our senses. So we can actually hook our attention on whatever scent is most accessible. 
right? Whatever sense. So for some of us, I might be able to really focus on what am I seeing? For some of us, it might be what am I hearing? Either way, when I can become present in my body through what my senses and what's happening, I now know I'm in the conscious moment. And then of course, we want to hit repeat on that practice, check in with our attention another time, right? And begin to fire up that conscious part of our mind. Because in my opinion, that's where we give ourselves the opportunity to create choice. We can begin to watch and witness all of these habits and patterns that are alive for most of us as humans and begin to now make new choices to create a future that looks different from the past that so many of us have been repeating time and time again. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So great. What about deep traumas or really painful traumas? How do we move through that stuff on our own? A lot of us have the deeper, the pain, the wounding, the deep-rooted traumas that quite honestly, living unconsciously or all of the things that we've done to distract ourselves or to try to tolerate to the best of our ability, for many of us has kept us safely away from those deep, dark feelings. So the process of healing is painful becoming aware and walking through all of the discomfort that so many of us have have protected ourselves from is uncomfortable. So that's where, first and foremost, we all know our limits. As we begin to unearth some of the more uncomfortable things, this isn't about diving into the deep end. That helps no one. That actually overwhelms our nervous system and can create a a reactivating or re-traumatizing situation that's not helpful. So we want to do a process which is called widening the window, right? Very gradually, we want to kind of, instead of the deep end dive, right? We want to stick our toe in and learn how how much we can tolerate little by little. So when a little discomfort comes over, learning how to use that same grounding technique, how to find my safety in the present moment, and then staying and being safe. Safety is is the biggest thing that most of us have to cultivate. So whether it's safety within, if our outside environments aren't safe, safety in those relationships where we have those supportive people, or finding, right, the spaces where we can be safe is going to be a really helpful part. And again, this might be the area where we find the practitioner. There's a lot of really great trauma-based therapies now. EMDR is the one that I'm always shouting out. That can be incredibly helpful, especially for those of us who have the more kind of flashback type memories around severe trauma. And there's incredible somatic practitioners that can help us when we have trauma housed in the body. So those of us who have who need the extra support, I would suggest finding, like I said, those somatic practitioners are the ones that practice EMDR because that can be really successful in helping us create that safety. Absolutely, because trauma is not only stored in the mind, it's sometimes stored in the cells. And so doing those practices like EMDR and things like tapping or any sort of body work can really help release it out of your cells. For those that haven't heard of EMDR, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on what that is? Yeah. So EMDR was actually, it was developed and it's based on eye movements. And it's essentially, we, we've learned that by a particular rhythm, where you can either, it's eye movements, or we now have ways where you can stimulate, bilaterally stimulate the brain. And essentially what we found is the reason why, the way some memories get stored, especially trauma-based memories, the way they get stored in the emotional center of the brain, they're stored in such a way that that's why they come up. 
in terms of the flashback type memory. So they need help essentially being processed to keep it in real layman's terms. So we found that there's a particular way that we can stimulate either side. Our brain is in two hemispheres. So by stimulating rhythmically either side, either through my eye movements or again, a, a tactile stimulation, we now have ones that you can hold that can help us to process the trauma memory. And there are certified practitioners, of course, that are trained in this that will help you go through the process of unearthing the memory in a safe way that then will be you know, operated on using this stimulation with the end product, like I said, being a way to break up essentially the memory to be able to metabolize it and work beyond it, work through it, as opposed to the stuckness that many of us find ourselves stuck in it. Yeah, it's an incredible modality to have access to. And I've heard so many people just bust through such big blocks with it. So check it out if that's something that you're interested in and wanting to go deeper with. It's really powerful. I want to chat a little bit about, in your book, you talk about your inner child. And over the years, I've done a lot of inner child healing work. And it really was huge for me. Can you talk us through what your process is? How do we heal our inner child? Why do we need to heal our inner child? What is our inner child? Can you kind of dive deep into that and why it's so important in our health and for our mental well-being? Yeah, so some inner child 101, if you will. So back to that subconscious part of the mind that I'm going on and on about. In there is where I kind of envision the inner child being stored. So let me just talk quickly first about why childhood is important and then obviously how that gets formed into this, this entity that is inner child and then what working with it looks like. So when we come here to this earth experience, however it is that you believe we arrive here, we as humans are in a complete state of dependency, meaning we can't survive on our own. We quite literally need the caregivers around us. And again, whatever our caregiver, we all have a different, I think, environment, of course, that we're born into but we're in a state of need. We can't meet our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual needs on our own. So what happens is because we, we need these humans so much, we are also incredibly adaptive as children. So we learn right the modifications that we have to make, the ways that we have to show up in these relationships to make sure that our needs are getting met to the best of our abilities. And what happens, so some of us, we desire, let me step back a little bit more too. So we have physical needs, we have emotional needs, and I believe we all have spiritual needs. And those can be simplified into three core needs of being seen, of being heard, and of having the space to just be the little being and uniqueness that we are. So in absence of having this most ideal environment that very few of us as humans get, right? Very few of us have the caregiver that is self-sufficient in their own physical and emotional needs and shows up as a self-expressed human, able to hold space for the little being below them that they're teaching to do all of these things, tall order. So what happens, like I said, is we begin to have to make compromises. Like I said, we're very adaptive. So we learn to show up in the ways that ensure that those needs are getting met to the best of that caregiver's ability. Right, so this is where we begin to assume, mainly in our relationships, roles, some of which are the caregiver, the helper, right, the life of the party, all of these ways that we can show up to make sure that we're as connected as we can to the people that matter the most. And like I said, 
most of us are making these adaptations and these modifications along the way. So our inner child, right, is that whole way of being kind of becomes the onion, right, that gets stored now in our subconscious. So we don't necessarily grow out or mature out unless we consciously do so. Most of us are carrying these woundings from our inner child and then all of these adapted ways we've attempted to get those needs met. So flash forward in time, most of us can identify with playing those roles in our relationships or in our environment at large. We consistently now show up as the helper, as the caregiver, or as someone who doesn't authentically acknowledge their own needs. So inner child lives within most of us. And again, is it is that becomes this those set of compromises that we begin to employ, even though obviously we've matured and we've developed or we've had the opportunity to develop some new tools. So what inner child work looks like is first identifying the reality that we all have that wounded place inside of us. We are all attempting to get our needs met in ways that were the best of our ability at one time, but might not serve us. And the work that we want to do around our inner child is learning how to show up in service of that being, learning how to more properly, the way our body right, needs to meet our physical needs, to meet our emotional needs, and to create the space in our life and in our relationship so that we can show up authentically now as an adult. Mm. So I was just thinking about, I have a 14-year-old stepson, and I've known him since he was seven. And I remember just realizing that all he wants is to be heard and seen and making sure that in those times where I've wanted to rush and just dismiss him and be like, I don't have time to listen or I don't have time to like hear you or see you and how that affected him. And so now I make a real conscious effort to get down on his level and to really listen and to really see him, and to not interrupt, and to really hear him, and even respond with, I hear you, or I heard you. And just the impact that that has on someone. And even now, today, with my husband, I do the same thing. I'm like, I hear you. Okay, great. And let's chat about this or whatever. And when you strip it all back, it's really the core needs are wanting to be heard and seen. And it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated, though. In practice, it, it, it is. It's very difficult. And that is such a gift. Because I know for me, you're, you're, you're saying a very pivotal thing, unless you're saying, hear you, right? This other person. What so many of us are doing, even though we're hearing someone else speak at us, we're filtering it quite naturally through our lens, right? Through what I think you're saying or from, oh, that sounds like what I think over here. We make it about us. So the real practice is like, and that doesn't mean that we're not having all of those reactions that I don't have, oh, that refute or my mind doesn't try to take me down the path of me in the moment. It probably will. That it means creating the space to remind myself that I'm not listening to hear myself reflected back. I'm actually listening to hear a separate person. I don't have children, so I can't imagine what it's like to, you know, a lot of us do though project this idea of sameness, right, onto our kids because we imagine, well, you know, they're genetically mine. They live in my home. They must feel the same way I do or, or sadness might, you know, resonate or they might be helped by the same way I cope with sadness. And 
that's making a lot of assumptions. So it's that other. How do I shift into actually holding space to hear someone else's experience, especially when what I'm hearing couldn't be farther from how it is for me? That's when it gets much more complicated. So that is the simplicity of it, the gift of holding the space to actually allow someone else to be reflected to you. Mm. You talk a lot about reparenting as well. So once you've become aware of your inner child and anything that you need to heal or look at within yourself, you talk about reparenting. So what is reparenting and how do we do it? Reparenting is the act then in showing up in service of that inner child, in service of your body and physical needs in that in service of your emotional needs in that moment, in service of your spiritual needs. So reparenting is the daily act, essentially, of connecting with, communicating with, and caring for that inner child. It's that inner internal empowerment because the reality is we shift and change, right? Sometimes our inner child wound lays dormant for a while, and then that moment comes where all of it comes crashing back. So I loved what you said earlier about not externalizing, because this is also part of the journey, is how do we empower ourselves within so that I can walk into the uncertainty that is tomorrow and navigate it accordingly? So the same thing goes with reparenting. It's a lived experience of showing up in service of myself, a self that is changing, that is variable, that tomorrow might challenge a new aspect of, of my history or my now. So I need to be versatile and learning how to identify. So reparenting, Again, it's a daily act of identifying typically my needs in any or all of those areas, physical, emotional, and spiritual, and learning. Because for many of us, we, we begin not knowing. I'll, I'll speak from my own experience. I had no idea. I had to create a lot of new habits to care for my body in ways I've never seen my model to me. Same thing emotionally. I went to a whole hell of a lot of school to help people deal with their emotions, had no idea how to deal with mine. So it, it's a journey of learning. Reparenting is learning how to best meet our own needs. Mm. Because when we can meet our own needs, we stop externally looking for people to fill those voids within us. The partner or the friend or the mother or the child, we stop reaching to them to fill that void. When we are fulfilling our own desires and needs within that's the place we want to get to. And it's possible for every single human being. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that we're an island and that we don't relate or we're not in relation to others. It allows us to show up authentically and to have limits and space where I end and someone else begins. And I amplify this because I do see a lot of times my work is misinterpreted with this belief that I'm speaking from this hyper-individualistic vantage point, though the goal of all of this actually is to connect. We are interpersonal creatures. A lot of us though have to separate self and honor and show up authentically for self first because we have been overcompensating. We have been putting everyone else's needs first. So we need to define our boundary right where I am and where I can be authentic within myself before then that translates to my relationship. So it actually serves our relationships because who I'm showing up with and as now is authentic me. It's not all of the compromises. It's not me putting your needs before mine. It's me showing up as a whole authentic individual who has limits, who has different ideas, who has different strengths, still coming to the table of many different types of relationships. Mm. 
Recently, my team and I were looking for a designer to create some new Instagram story and feed animations for this show. Because my usual designer is on maternity leave, that meant we had to look somewhere else. Then we came across Design Crowd. And I have to say, we were so impressed. Basically, Design Crowd is a website with hundreds of thousands of designers ready to help you create your perfect custom design. Whether that's a logo, website, book cover, or social media ad campaign, a quality design can make a huge difference to your overall engagement and success in a competitive market. There are over 900,000 super talented designers from around the world ready to submit creative ideas, ensuring you get the perfect custom design every single time. Now, within hours of posting your job brief online, you'll receive your first design. And over the course of two to seven days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 plus different designs. You then simply pick the best design and approve payment to the designer. That's it. How easy is that? Check out designcrowd.com forward slash Melissa. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-U-D.com forward slash Melissa to receive up to $150 off. And keep an eye out on my Instagram over the coming weeks to see what we created with Design Crowd. Speaking of boundaries, how do we assert healthy boundaries with people that we love and also maybe people that aren't supporting us. How do we do it? And I talk about this a lot. It's so important. It is so important to set these healthy boundaries. But some people then say to me, oh, but Melissa, but then I'm blocking people out and then I'm not being love. I'm not being unconditional love and allowing people to walk all over me. And It's so different. Setting these healthy boundaries is about respecting yourself, respecting your inner child. But a lot of people struggle with the boundary thing. So how do we set them with the people closest to us? Maybe it's our family or friends. And why is it so important? The people closest to us, speaking from my own experience as well, oftentimes do offer the most challenge when we're considering setting boundaries. So Just to be clear that we know what we're talking about, quite simply, a boundary is a limit, right? A limit that I said allows me to, the main intention of boundaries is a word we talked about earlier, is safety, is security, is creating the space where I can begin to feel safe enough to be authentically me, to express my beliefs or my feelings. So we need a limit to feel safe. And that's what a boundary is. A lot of us, so I will share with you, I never really heard of the concept of boundaries. Even through my program, they weren't really talked about as a thing. I came to realize that I grew up in what we call a codependent household, which means a boundaryless one. So for me, discovering the concept of boundaries and beginning to set them in my life was pivotal. It was integral for me to create that safety for myself. And like I said, I didn't have any, so it was very, very difficult. So I give suggestions to practice. For a lot of us, we have to practice setting them. So to to answer your question, I began to practice not with those closest to me. I began to practice with in the relationships that felt a little safer to do so, right? For me, that was professionally. For me, it felt easier to put limits on my time with someone or my availability or what I was willing to share or not share 
those limits with someone who felt a little distanced from me didn't feel as threatening because what most of us are fearing is loss, abandonment. If I don't show up as the helper I've always been, will this person love me or will this relationship end? That's typically the fear that's keeping us stuck. So for me, practicing, right, where the fear wasn't so great, where it wasn't my family that I was considering the loss of helped me gain some confidence. Some tips, it's really a three-part process for boundaries, for creating boundaries. First, we want to identify, you know, where we need a new boundary. That can be based on how we feel, right? Begin to explore and witness yourself. Are there different types of relationships in your life where you don't feel safe, where you don't feel excited to see the person, where you feel constricted and heavy possibly, or, you know, not positive after you leave? That would be helpful to figure out what relationships need boundaries. Once we get clear on where and what our new limits could be, we want to set up the boundary. We might want to communicate it to the person. Really big important tip here is timing. We definitely don't want to scream out a boundary in the middle of an argument, right? We want to set ourselves up. And this is typically where we want to, we get to the point, a lot of us, especially if you're like myself with no limits, we start to build up anger, resentment. And it does sometimes come crashing out of us where we're just done with it in one day. So that's going to not be the best time to, to speak a boundary. As emotionally neutral as possible, right? We want, might want to alert the person. We might want to set the boundary. And that means then setting it. The next time that thing happens, right, we want to stand our ground and we want to stand in the new limit that we set. And then with the third step being maintaining it maintaining it despite the reaction that's happening on the other end. And this is, I know, where it can get really challenging because sometimes we do get kickback. We do get the person who's surprised at minimum and upset, possibly feeling abandoned because now you're not showing up in the way you always have. Some of us, the resistance lives in our mind. We feel bad. We beat ourselves up internally. In absence of maybe even any reaction from the other person, I know me, I will sit there and feel so bad that before I know it, I take the boundary down. So boundaries look different for either and many of us, all of us, really. We want to assess our relationships, seeing how we feel in them to define some possible new limits, be helpful to communicate the new limit. And then, of course, to set the new limit. That's our job, as well as maintaining it on the other end. But how do we not feel bad? You can figure out how not to feel bad. So what I say to that is, I mean, feeling bad is, is natural for many of us. The reframe that I've offered my, my feel bads for quite some time is the awareness that the changes that we're making now, like I said earlier, will benefit the longevity of the relationship. Because what does happen, like I was illustrating earlier, is we do accumulate feelings. We do begin to get resentful or we begin to blame the other people around us. I know I've done that right? I begin to look at everyone around me and say, you're the problem. You didn't stop doing this. And before long, that can be the detriment of these relationships. So while the feel bads are there, why guilt and all of that that comes with it might be the immediate thing that happens, the reframe that could be helpful is understanding that we're doing this to set our relationship up to succeed in the long term. Mm. And it can feel confronting, especially if it is with family members that you've got to assert these boundaries. But we have to come back to remembering that for the longevity and the sustainability 
of the relationship, we have to put in these boundaries. Otherwise, it's going to crumble because there's so much unsaid and unresolved within ourselves that just festers away underneath the surface. And it will end up exploding like a volcano if we don't express it and set those boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And or, you know, we we set ourselves up to have to continue to show up as that old in that old way, right? We don't actually create a situation for ourselves to change in the relationship. We set ourselves up to only have two options, continue to be that helper, right? or not have the relationship. So moving through the discomfort that comes along with boundaries can set so many of us up to be authentic on the other side of it, to create the space so that who I'm showing up, like I said earlier, is closer to the authentic me and is not one that's just in service of someone else in that moment. And I just want to encourage everyone to just shimmy through that discomfort. Just keep shimmying through it. You know, I know, I know it can feel really uncomfortable and icky, but on the other side of that discomfort is always growth and evolution. And sometimes we just need to shimmy our way through and then we can see that there's the growth, there's there's the evolution on the other side. I love that. I love that suggestion. I second that. I love the word shimmy even to, as the example. And so I'll just speak, you know, from my own lived experience coming from that codependent family, part of my journey meant putting some really hard boundaries up within my family unit, some of which included going no contact for the better part of a year and a half. I think it ended up being I'm on the other side of that. And now we're rebuilding me and each of my family members, new relationships. And as painful as it was for all of us to take that hard break, Ultimately, it gave us the space. It gave me the space to be able to find my way to finding myself. And now we're all back at the table in a different way and the relationships are changing. So I just like to share my my experience because I know that some of these conversations are hard. I know how difficult it is to put up boundaries, especially ones that include not contacting, especially immediate family. So all of the layers of discomfort I definitely lived in for a very long time around that. And now I'm in a place where we're finding our way toward relationships that I think my whole family would agree are more workable for all of us now. That's really beautiful and so inspiring. I come from a very Catholic Italian family where should is injected into almost every sentence. You should do this because it's your cousin. You should do this because it's your nonna. Like you should, 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 should. And so many years ago, when I first embarked on my internal journey, I had to really break down some of those. And yeah, there was a period of time where I didn't speak to a few family members and that was stretching. It felt so stretching but it's allowed us to build a new foundation. And the more that you can stay true to yourself and show up as the best version of yourself and in alignment with your values and your beliefs, you're going to inspire others to do the same. It doesn't mean it's going to always be rainbows and butterflies and feel like you're prancing through a sunflower field. 
it's stretching and we've got to just do our best to just, like I said, shimmy our way through because you're worth the relationships of your dreams. You're worth having that deep, soulful connection that you want with your family and friends. We're all worthy of that. But sometimes it takes some setting some boundaries, removing of the shoulds that come with the lineage and doing the work, having those sometimes icky conversations. I would love to hear if you've got any advice on how to approach those conversations because in my work, I say that when you have to approach a relationship and you have to discuss something, there's two ways to do it. Sometimes you can resolve things within yourself, within your journal. And other times the conversation needs to be had. And so how do you discern between the two? For me personally, it's an internal feeling. I know within myself, in my journaling sessions, whether I can come to a conclusion and a full stop within myself, or I know if there's a conversation that needs to be had. And sometimes I will journal that conversation out first before I go to that person and have that conversation. But I'd love to hear if you have any processes or tips for us on how we can approach those conversations and resolve those icky things that we need to move through. I love actually your your suggestion. I appreciate you sharing that with me, Melissa, this idea of the intuitive, knowing the difference and expand on that. One of the ways or, or, or one of the explorations that might help us weigh, because I think I'm going to reflect back that, that same sort of answer, figuring our way, whether we fall into that personal resolution or whether or not we want to incorporate the other person as part of it. And so for me, something that's helpful as a differentiator is using the lived experience that we've typically had with the other person and assessing, this is the language I use, assessing their level of consciousness, assessing what we imagine them to be capable of understanding. You know, are they speaking the same language? Is this someone who could get it if I voice it in a way that's receivable? Or is this someone that we're just in a different place in terms of our journeys? Doesn't mean we can't create change in their relationship. And again, past experience is typically something that's helpful. This is not painting people into their past. I'm the biggest person who allows people to change, though past experience with a person can be helpful. So for me, when I was thinking about my family, some of these conversations say with my mom, understanding what her level of conscious awareness is and how emotionally attuned her and I have been throughout our lives together. The answer not being not very. So when I imagine that she's someone I'm going to explain to her my journey of healing and all of these things that I don't know if she would fully understand, or does she fall in the category of, I can work through some of this on my own, knowing that I will be the one probably changing the way I show up to that relationship. Of course, if you explored and you found that this is a person who I could, I could speak to them, I could share with them my intention. That's typically what I think is helpful to share. What is our intention? Why are we creating a new boundary? And the reason why I think intention sharing can be helpful to leave maybe the journal and be spoken to the person across from us who can receive it is because our mind 
creates stories. So if we don't say anything and I just stop picking up your phone calls when you call at all hours, say Melissa, right? So I'm just not there and available. With that big unknown, I'm now, right, allowing your mind to fill in a narrative of explanation why. And so most of us have some version of an abandonment. So when things violate our expectation, someone was supposed to be there for us and they're not, usually all roads are going to lead, lead down to, they don't love me, they've left me. So sharing the intention, right, alerting someone to what's going to be different can go a long way, can help. They have the opportunity to, to choose your narrative that you've shared with them, your why, or of course they can entertain what they really imagine is the case, though you've given them some information. And that for a lot of us can go a long way because we don't like the uncertainty of not knowing why someone isn't there for us in the way they've always been. So sharing the intention can go a long way. Typically it's some version of, I want this relationship to continue, or I want this to feel better, possibly for both of us. So the intention could be as simple as that. Hey, Melissa, I'm going to be showing up a little differently in our relationship because I value this relationship and I would like it to continue. And calling at all hours of the evening no longer works for me. My sleep is affected. Next time my phone rings in the all hours, I will not be answering it, right? So now I've set you up to know what's happening when you call at 1 a.m. and I don't answer. So communication, differentiating it, sometimes it can be helpful. Is this a person who can hear it? Should I communicate it at a time where they're not emotionally activated? And when I do go to communicate, it might be helpful to share my intention. And then, of course, what change is going to happen, my new limit. Again, speaking from the I, these changes and boundaries are for me. It's not ultimatum. It's not you. It's not stop calling Melissa. You're ruining my sleep. I'm just acknowledging what is from my lived experience. Mm, I love that. And I think approaching it by sharing your intention first is really powerful. And having that written out on a piece of paper, maybe before you have the conversation. And practice, practice. I mean, you're not kidding. I loved your example. I mean, I've actually, in in my new book, I have scripts where people can fill in the parts that apply and I suggest practice it. A lot of this language is going to be new. If you're someone like myself and the feel bads are going to be coloring what you're saying, practice goes a long way. Like I said, for some of us, that practice looks like practicing in relationships that are maybe on the periphery where I can start to experiment with boundaries, knowing that when I go to communicate to those closest to me, it'll probably still be scary. Though practice does go a long way. Yes, I love that. Such a great practical tip and definitely something I'm going to implement into my own life. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm very excited for your book to be out into the world very, very soon. I would love to hear what is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? So my definition of success is showing up in in my truth, in my authenticity. I'm still walking in that journey of learning how to be embodied in, in my truth and be expressive regardless of the eyes or the whom is around me. And that's will always, I believe, be my version of success. So not necessarily what it's mapping onto in terms of what I have as a result of it. It's more internally because what began my journey was having a lot of boxes checked, having the practice, having the relationship, living in a city that most people would love to be able to live, right? So I had all of the things, 
though I wasn't living in my own truth, in my own alignment. So now for me, that's what success means. It means how do I learn how to show up bravely as myself, regardless of, of what's happening around me or what the reaction is, is around me. Beautiful. I love that. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? What's bringing me the most joy? It's a really great question. The book has been really, really a, a joyful project for me in a lot of ways. I'm actually just probably when I get off the phone or off this call with you in a few, I was just in my final edit process. So it's been very much a live, living, breathing journey for me this past year of working through it, of speaking my story, putting it down in a book, and then obviously of, of editing it. And so for me, it's it's been like my home base in a lot of ways that regardless of everything that's been swirling around and all that is 2020 in my own personal world and obviously in the collective experience that we're all sharing, the book for me has been that that touch point. It's been my light. The content that's in there has been what has and continues to light my journey toward that definition of success and life and alignment. So having that as my touch point even when it felt like there was darkness everywhere else, to come back to that book for the better part of this this year has has really, I would say, given me the the most joy, security, and and many other things that in many moments were necessary. I love that. The book is called How to Do the Work, and I am so excited for everyone listening to read it. It's really important stuff. You talk a lot of the things that we've chatted about today reparenting, inner child, boundaries, trauma, so much. So it's such an incredible book and we'll link to it in the show notes. But I'd love to hear what are you working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? So I'm constantly working on, on, on myself in pretty much each and every moment, um, learning you know, how to be conscious, how to embody my emotional self and how to present that emotional self and authentically connect with my relationships is is really the area that I'm I'm still in in I'm learning all of the ways that I don't express my full scope of being to even those closest my partner in particular with whom I live I'm married I mean she's the closest to me in a lot of ways still learning how to be who I am with her and connected to her is still very alive for me and then obviously that that expands and expands out into all of the humans in my world. So it's it's now about having those authentic relationships. For a very long time, I, I had relationships. I've had many relationships of many different types in my life. And now it's really about how do I have authentic relationships. So that is the work for the foreseeable future, probably for the lifetime that I will be journeying. Authentic relationships are so fulfilling and rich and deep and so much more pleasurable than these surface level relationships. And I'm the same as you. It's how can I have these deep, authentic, open relationships that that's what I desire as well. How do you do that? And and for me, it's, it's how do I continue to be authentically connected to me in each moment so that I again show up authentically with others. And that's just an ongoing daily conversation. Absolutely. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks, the only blue light glasses backed by science. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love my blue blocking glasses and I wear them every day. 
because they help alleviate digital eye strain, keep your hormones balanced, and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. They are made in Australia, which means they are very high quality, and all their glasses come in readers, prescription, and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and enter the code MELISSA at the checkout. Now let's get back to this conversation. Let's pretend that you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Besides your book, which absolutely should be in the curriculum, what is one book you would choose? Absolutely. I'm trying to think of, I mean, the the first book that popped into my head, and I think it's just because one that is my ultimate favorite. I love The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. You threw me with school, though, because I might want to go a little more practical, but anything to do with consciousness, honestly. And that, that's what that book was for me. I met that book, The Untethered Soul, years ago now, but a place where I was just beginning to, to you know, entertain this idea of consciousness and greater connection. So that book, to me, was an entry point into, into that whole world. I think for, for kids, anything that has to do with, with consciousness would be the most, how to be present would be the most impactful gift, really, that we could give through school or through parenting, really. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine if they all had these tools at such a young age. Oh, it would just be so amazing. We're setting them up. And I truly believe that the children being born now, they're they're way more conscious than we ever will be as we are more conscious than our parents' generation. And I'm so excited for this new wave of children being born now. I'm currently pregnant as well. And so I'm just like this little light beam to be able to share with her what I know and then have her already be an evolved light beam and just take it and see what these children do is just so exciting. I couldn't agree more. And there's so many incredibly humans like yourself, conscious parenting. I mean, this next generations and generations to come because there's so many of us that are stepping up and breaking the cycles of all the generations that came before. I'm inspired. I'm really, really inspired. And now that we have the tool that many of us, again, love to hate, but the internet and its ability to, to connect people, to connect ideas, I'm inspired really thinking about the future. Mm, me too. I'd love to hear about how your day looks and in particular, your little rituals and your routines. Do you meditate? I'd love to hear about a typical day. I know no two days are ever the same, but what are some of your success rituals and habits that you do? Can you talk us through a standard day? I sure can. So my day starts pretty early. I'm typically up at five. I do try to protect my morning time for myself, meaning I try, I'd go to sleep without my phone in my room and I try not necessarily to pick up my phone, which is where work lives for me until I call it my morning stuff. My morning stuff is done. So what morning stuff looks like for me, like I said, usually begins around five. I'm definitely journaling. So I've created a process that I call future self journaling, which is really the practice of utilizing a journaling a daily journaling habit 
to create intentional change. So I do that still. I developed this tool right when I began the healing journey and I'm still doing it each and every day. So every morning, it takes me about a minute or two minutes, three minutes. I journal my intentions for that day. So how I'm going to consciously show up and keep marching toward the change that I've been accumulating now for years. I also make sure that I I do have a, a moment of quiet whether or not that's for a, when I'm on a beach walk, I have the privilege of living close to the beach. So some mornings I do get to walk and it'll be, that'll be my moment of quiet. Other mornings it will be, it'll look like a sitting meditation where I go inward. I usually only spend about 10, 15 minutes at most, usually in, in that type of sitting meditation. I'm moving my body. So sometime during the morning too, I'm either doing yoga or something a little more strenuous. I've learned that for me, discharging my energy is incredibly important. It helps keep my mind clear throughout the day. So journaling, breath work, breath work, something that comes into whether or not I'm doing an actual practice of intentional breathing in the morning or just really paying attention to my breathing throughout the day. For me, that, again, gives me that point of access to my physical body after being so detached from it for a very long time. also helps me regulate my mood. So some mornings I'll do a little more structured of a practice where I'm sitting and doing some type of breath work. Otherwise, I'll just be very attentive to my breath throughout the day. So that's my morning. And then I shift into work and I do whatever sort of creation that I'm doing, writing for Instagram, working on the book, working on the new courses or content, et cetera. My day of thinking really ends probably around three o'clock because I'm typically shifting, downshifting. I have my dinner usually around five, probably by seven. I'm really shutting things down. I'm not on blue lights. I might be reading and I'm typically in bed by, by eight, be asleep by nine to wake up and do it all again the next day. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love that you are an early to better like I am. I just think it's not many people that come on this show that say they get into bed at eight. I actually get into bed at 7.30. There's some nights where it's like that for me too. (laughs) So if you said it, I'll say it. (laughs) Yeah. But honestly, so many people are like, yeah, I get into bed early, like 10. And I'm like, 10's not. (laughs) I might've fallen asleep to wake up and no, it's only 10. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love that you have an appreciation for sleep like I do. It's the best. I just love it. So thank you for sharing that. I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? One of the most important things we can do today for our health is to become conscious of how we're taking care of our health. I think a lot of us believe we're tending to things. Sleep is a prime area. A lot of us believe we're getting way more sleep than we are. So being conscious and intentional around how we care for our health is the best gift we can give ourselves. Totally. I recently got an Ura ring. Yes, I have one of those. (laughs) You got one? Yeah. So my husband has had one for years and he's like, I'm going to get you one. And he got me one. And it's been so interesting because I'm tracking all of my sleep and it will show you how long you're in REM. It'll show you how long you're in deep sleep, how long you're actually asleep for, how long you wake up for, The other night, I was awake during the night for over an hour, but I didn't know. It's such interesting data and it's really amazing to see. So if you want to take your sleep to the next level, you could definitely start tracking it. I'll link to the ring that I've got in the show notes if people are interested. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. And there's little tweaks that you can do to really help you get 
the ideal REM, the ideal deep sleep and the ideal eight hours of not waking up. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Okay, the next one, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. So for our, our wealth, a lot, of, a lot of us are prevented because of our subconscious mind. We have those blocks. We have those narratives around scarcity, limitation, lack that prevent us from expressing our full and authentic self. When we show up in full self-expression, we attract things like wealth and relationships and pretty much everything that we want. But we have to explore what those deeper subconscious blocks are. So the, the one thing we can do is become aware So for me, I had a lot of narratives around limitation and around lack that I had to become aware of and work through, essentially embrace a different belief, one where I deserved abundance or or wealth or things that are of that nature. So the thing we can do is explore the more subconscious ways many of us are stuck. Mm, Love it. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? For more love embracing ourselves, being that authentic being. Many of us have learned how to relate to others or how to maintain some version of relationships. So if, if we're asked how fulfilled we feel or how loved and connected we feel, the answer usually isn't overwhelming, not very. So for love, same thing. We can do the work to embrace who we are, to love who we are so that we can show the other person, whomever that might be, who we are. And that's when we feel truly loved. It's not always showing up as our shiniest and getting told we're great. I was very good at doing that. It's showing up at not my shiniest and have having the person see me, hear me, and allow me to be who I am in that moment without trying to change it. So for love, again, it's, it's in exploring and embracing and, and repaving the way back to our authenticity will translate, I believe, into feeling just more love for self and then more loved by others. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. This has been so helpful. It's been beautiful to hear your wisdom. Is there anything else that you want to share or any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you? I think the parting words that I I always like to share at this point is commending. I, I like to commend people who, who hear these sort of messages, who show up in these Instagram accounts and sign on to these podcasts and just listen to different people and different experiences. For a lot of us, that can be challenging in and of itself to hear different ideas, different mindsets. So even just pushing play is commendable. Exposing ourselves, I think, to, to different thoughts can go a long way to creating change in our life. So I just want to say, you know, I see everyone out there who's whatever stage of healing that they're, they're in, I think I like to also end by acknowledging that it is a journey. The most cliche thing, there is no end. And it's really about finding the other humans, the supportive people to walk the journey with. That's what the community of self-healers has offered me is the, the place, the safe space to begin to experiment with, with showing the world me. Mm, I love that. This has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us today and all the work that you do in the world. You're helping so many people. You are such a light. And I want to know how I personally and the listeners can give back and serve you today. I appreciate you asking that. So, you know, I think the best way that we can all give back to the collective 
right? It's just it's by showing, shining our own light. So I just ask the listeners out there to, to know that there's a light inside you and to find your way to that light. Because that's how I, I believe that the collective and the universe at grand scale is benefit is when we each learn how to increase our light ever so slightly. Mm, absolutely. That light is within us all. It's all there. We just need to dial it back up a little bit. Sometimes it dims, but it's time to dial it back up because we're all worthy of shining our light as bright as we possibly can. So thank you for that reminder and thank you for being here. Of course, thank you, Melissa, and to your whole community for having me here today. What an amazing woman and an amazing conversation. I got so much out of it. I feel so inspired. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and help and support and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it is a five-star review from Kirsty Morton and it's titled Uplifting and Thought-Provoking. And Kirsty says, I love Melissa's podcast. It always gets me thinking deeply. I always receive what I need at the moment with plenty of aha moments. I love it. Kirsty, thank you so much for your beautiful five-star review. I'm so grateful. And as a little thank you, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products. And that is from Blue Blocks. So you're going to get yourself a pair of blue light blocking glasses from the Melissa range, which is pretty cool. All you have to do is email hello at melissaambrosini.com with your address and we will send that over to you. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top three key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading and hearing what you get from each episode. So please come and share them with me. And for everything that we mentioned in today's show, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 380. And for everyone who shares a screenshot on their Instagram stories or on their Instagram of them listening to the show or their favorite episode. I just want to say thank you so much. I personally screenshot every single one myself. So I have a record of it because I'm so grateful. And I personally respond to every single person. So I just want to thank you for everyone who does that. It means the world to me. I love having you here. I love doing this show for you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for wanting to be the best and the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. I love that you keep showing up. You keep doing the work. This is a journey. There's no such thing as like reading one self-help book and being enlightened and then never having to do the work again. You guys keep showing up and I just love that so much. And if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.